We're so glad that you found this Peak City message today. Our prayer is that during our time together, you're able to discover Jesus and are encouraged to follow him fearlessly. I grew up in the church, um, was kind of just one of those things where I was always um, not forced to go, but just like I went because my mom and dad wanted me to type thing. Um, as I got older, kind of into college age and could make my own decisions about life, it was like, you know what, I, I don't think I believe any of that. And there's not one specific bad circumstance I had that made me come to those conclusions, but church and God and Jesus just didn't really make sense to me. Me and my wife, we moved out to Colorado about two years ago. I had a very powerful experience um, a couple months after we moved here uh, while we were up in the mountains where um, it was just me and her camping. We had been, you know, kind of staying up late, stargazing. We were away from the city, so it was just you know, beautiful looking up at the sky all night long. And, you know, did that for a while, and I go back and I lay in my tent, and I just feel something come over me. You know, just feel like someone's speaking to me or working in me. And I start kind of have this conversation in my head. And as I'm doing that, the wind is kind of responding to what I'm saying. And the stream that was biased is kind of responding to what I'm saying. And it was an out there experience for me. It's like, I, I don't really know what this is, but this is something. That experience just kind of burned in my heart for a while, but I never really did anything with it per se. I had some friends online that uh, came here for a conference, actually came to the church. Uh, me and my wife had already kind of made the decision that we wanted to come back to church. Uh, it started just going to peakcityco.com and having a church that you know had an easy to use website, something that looked modern and updated and like there's effort and care that was put into it. It really says something. And yeah, I eventually made my way to YouTube. Uh, watched through a couple here and there, and then it turned into watching the full sermons, the, the the worship, all of it. And it's kind of this mindset of like the try it before you buy it, right? It's like, all right, we want to see what this church is about. And, you know, sometimes going in first thing and trying to figure that out can be hard and, and difficult. Um, so having this avenue to really see that. And then the other cool thing is, pretty much every single one, there's an invitation from whoever's speaking that day to come into the church and to uh, get in here. And that was just something that felt welcoming, you know, felt like, hey, we want you to be in here. We want you to come and be a part of this as you can. And then the first Sunday, we actually came into church here. So after we watched online for a little bit, I'm kind of coming in and it's like, you know what? We made the decision to come back to church, but that's about it. Like I, there's nothing else on my heart, in my heart that I'm thinking or feeling or any of that. And I get to the end of that first service and that same exact feeling and experience that I had when we were camping just kind of came over me. And I just was completely <laughs> overwhelmed. I, it, it just, it all came real to me like that. I mean, seriously, it, it didn't take more than a second to be like, Okay, God, this is this is you. Uh, I hear you. I'm here, coming in, and you feel the sense of community. You feel the energy in here, not just the people, but the spiritual energy. And you can feel it. You can feel it when you walk in. You can feel it um, when Petey or whoever is preaching. You can feel it when we're worshiping. I walked into the auditorium that first week, even after listening online, still like, I don't know about God, to walking out of that auditorium the first Sunday and no, Jesus is real and he's here and he wants the best for me. I wanna follow whatever he has to say.
Come on, man. Isn't that incredible? Good grief. I could watch that story of Jacob's all day long, man. It's so good. And what I love about that story uh, is that Jacob is not some, like, dude on a commercial that you'll never see around. It's not like a planted person. Jacob was here 9 a.m. sitting right here. (laughs) And I just spoke to him in this room in front of everybody and said, man, I'm so honored that we get to be a part of his story and a part of people's stories like that. It's just such a beautiful, beautiful thing. Like, if you want to get to know Jacob, Jacob's got dope hair, and Jacob comes to the 9 a.m. service, man. So if you want to hear more about his story, go find him. And, and I, I, I do really hope that this uh, shows you why we are setting aside part of our Build the Future offering to make some uh, needed improvements to our Peak City online experience, because it is the front door of our church, right? Those physical front doors are the second set of front doors, The first thing people do when you invite your friends, if you use those Christmas Eve invite cards, then you invite your friends. I'm telling you, the first thing they're going to do is look us up online. And so we want to make sure we're putting the best foot forward we can with that. And so as you pray about giving here at the end of the year, know that that is one of the things that we're building the future with. Um, And uh, again, remember, in the month of December, anything given above our standard operating expenses as a church is set aside for these really, really good, big Build the Future initiatives. So pray about it when you're ready to give. For those of you that have already given big, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, When you're ready, uh, for those of you that haven't, uh, go to peakcityco.com and make your gift and let's build the future together. Y'all ready for today? Hey, go ahead and get a, um, if you're with us online, like Jacob started with us online, hey, shout out to you. Uh, We probably should. We welcome all the first timers. Let's welcome the online crowd out there. That's incredible. There's always a, a, a crew of people that are watching live with us, and then there's you know, several hundred more that watch uh, by the end of the day today and watch throughout the week, which is cool. So shout out to you. We're, we're thrilled to have you. Uh, if you have a Bible and you want to get there, we're in John chapter 6 today. John chapter 6, the title of my message for you is, When You Don't Know What to Ask For. All right, when you don't know what to ask for. Uh, I am pumped about Christmas. Y'all realize Christmas is two weeks away from today. <laughs> That is way too quick. That is insane. And I know I just scared somebody by telling you this is two weeks away. Uh, I am pumped, though, man. I love Christmas. I love our Christmas services. It's such an exciting time of year. We see God do so many things, and I'm excited for our, for our services. We've got that one. If, if you notice on the invite card, we've got a service on Thursday, which is Christmas Eve, Eve, Eve. And that's for, uh, for uh, anybody who can't make it on Christmas Eve that's, like, traveling out of town. You can still be with us on that day. Uh, but I, I'm excited for it, man. I, I, I love Christmas. However, Christmas is also for me like the yearly reminder that I am getting old. It's not birthday. Birthdays don't do it for me. Like when I, when I turn 38 next year, like 38, I'm, I'm no longer mid-30s. My wife has been saying that 37 is mid-30s. I, I kind of disagree. 38 is for sure late, right? 38 is late 30s. But that does not make me feel old. Birthdays do not bother me. Christmas is what makes me feel old. Because Christmas, I realize that I have fully embraced and become an old man. My wife asked me last week, she said, what do you want for Christmas? I said, I don't know what to ask for. She's like, well, just come up with like an Amazon list. Like throw some things on there that you think you might want. I'm like, all right. So I like get on Amazon. I started like shopping around. I don't know what I want. I and and it's, it's just so weird because like I remember a time not too long ago when I couldn't wait to ask for something for Christmas, right? I know Jesus says the whole like it's more blessed to give than receive. I was always kind of like, eh, you know, it's kind of awesome to get gifts, right? And so I always had something to ask for, but now, like, she laughed at me because the, the, the list I sent her, she was like, Petey, this is the oldest thing you've ever asked for. You asked for a space heater for the garage. <laughs> I'm like, but that would be really useful. 
would be really, really helpful. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know what to ask for, man. I don't know. And, and you know, what, I, what I've come to understand from this passage this week as I was studying it, as I was prepping and praying for you, is that uh, oftentimes for many of us, life, and especially this time of year, life hits in a really, really hard way. And, and it leaves you tired and exhausted and confused and frustrated. And, and, and oftentimes, I think many of us come in here and life is hard and we know we need something, but we don't even know what to ask for. <laughs> We're not even sure where to go next. We're not even sure what God could possibly do. What should we even ask for? And, and I know that to be true because of what happened yesterday. Okay. Yesterday, um, this past week, we started this new thing where I, I've just been like sending out an occasional text message to the whole church just saying, hey, praying for you, got your back, a little bit of spiritual encouragement, all that good stuff. Yesterday in the, in the morning, I sent out a text message that said, hey, um, as I'm preparing my message today, I'm praying for you. How can I pray for you? And uh, I've sent out emails before saying, we're praying for you. Let us know if, if we can pray for you. And like two or three people responded. Yesterday, we had nearly 200 people within 24 hours that responded with prayer requests And I sat right here where Scott's sitting, right there. I sat there um, yesterday afternoon for about two hours, and I sat and I prayed for everyone that sent in a request to our church. And uh, I was overwhelmed. I was overwhelmed because the issues that were coming through, like, you know, there's the occasional person that's like, traveling mercies. That was actually the rare one. I want you to understand that the people you are sitting in rows next to some of you are watching online right now, and you can, you can affirm this because you're dealing with it. The people you're sitting in rows with right now are dealing with stuff. And it ain't easy. We had every request that you could ever imagine come through, and I was just overwhelmed by the end of the day because I sat there going like, God, if this is what they're dealing with, like, I don't even know what to ask for. Just will you, will you be with them? I don't even know what to say. And it's hard. And it's true whether you're a follower of Jesus or you're not. Like if you're new to this and you're not sure what you believe or you've been in church all your life, we all got issues and we're all dealing. And that's why I think today is such a timely message because I do believe through John chapter six, I think that God wants to show you when you don't know what to ask for, ask for this. And it's two things, two gifts that I believe God wants to give to you. But I'm telling you, he, he, he will wait for you to ask for them. God is not a God who will force himself into your life. He will not force himself against your will, nothing like that. God will wait on you to ask and to open your heart and to open your mind to, to, to what he wants to give you. And, and today, I think he wants to give you something really, really special. All right, John chapter 6, when you don't know what to ask for, we start in verse 16. Y'all ready? All right, I'm ready. Let's go. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and they set off across the lake for Capernaum. Now pause for a second. If you um, if you were with us last week, you remember what is what has just happened. The verses right before this were showing us that that Jesus and his disciples have just done something absolutely miraculous, absolutely crazy. They took a little boy's happy meal and they multiplied it into enough food to feed ten thousand plus people. It was unbelievable, right? And that has just happened right prior to this verse. And so the disciples are getting into the boat and they're getting ready to, 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 to row across to their next ministry destination, Capernaum, and, and they're exhausted, right? They're exhausted because all day long they've been serving. They spent the whole day serving bread, serving fish. They, they were the, the servers in the buffet line for 10,000 plus people. But, but here's the deal, they're exhausted, but it's like the good kind of exhausted. 
right? They can't believe that they got to be a part of this. They can't believe that they got to be the people that Jesus used to do this amazing miracle. And so they're tired, right? They're in the boat and they're rowing, but it's like the good exhausted. They're swapping stories. They can't believe they get to do this. It's amazing, right? You know those times in life when you're, when you're exhausted, but you could keep going? You know, like when you, when you started that new job and you can't believe you got it and it, it fits your skill set and it fits your passions and man, it, it's, it's making you money and providing for the family and man, you just can't believe it. it's so awesome and, and you pour yourself out all day long and at the end of the day, you don't have trouble falling asleep and you wake up the next day and you can't wait to go back, right? It's like the good exhausted. You know, like, like, like parents in the room, when you, if you've ever taken your kids to Disney, right, that's good exhausted. Don't look at your credit card. Don't look at your bank account, all right? That little mouse is a thief. <laughs> he will rob you blind. But it's, it's exhausting, like park to park, but I'm telling you, I will never forget seeing my daughter Tatum in her little frozen dress get on the frozen ride and see Olaf and Anna and Elsa. Like the, the look in her eyes, I was like, you can have all my money, I don't care. Like, I'll go flat broke, it's okay, it's okay. Right? You're exhausted, but it's like a good exhausted. That's, that's how the disciples are feeling. They're exhausted. They're tired. They're rowing in the middle of the night, and their traps are burning, right? Their shoulders are hurt. Their back is hurting, but they're rowing. But, man, it's good. It's good. It's good, right? Good exhausted, though, what I've found in my life and what I've seen in many of your lives and what we see here for the disciples, good exhausted can become bad exhausted real quick. Look what happens in the next verse. Verse 17, it says, By now it was dark. And Jesus had not yet joined them. Jesus was not in the boat, okay? Like any good leader, after he's poured himself out, Jesus needs some time to recoup. Every good leader needs to get away. Every good leader needs to be alone for a little bit. Jesus is alone. He's not with them. And they're rowing, and it says that a strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. Good exhausted turned to bad exhausted, the minute they faced some opposition, right? And isn't that how it works? Like the disciples are rowing and it's awesome and they're swapping stories and they can't believe it. And then the wind starts blowing at them. And they notice, man, I'm, I'm rowing. But I'm not going as fast as I was, right? And then the waters get a little choppy and they keep rowing. And it's like, man, I'm rowing hard and this is getting tough and I'm not making any progress right now. Right? And, and you were exhausted before, and then, then opposition hits, right? Like you love that job that you were in, and you were good exhausted, but then some people started gossiping. Then all of a sudden, there was a change in leadership, and you didn't agree with that decision, and you didn't like the direction the company's going in, and you're just not too sure about that. And good exhausted becomes bad exhausted. You, you're getting tired, right? You can't, you, you're going to work, and you used to be so excited, but now your boss isn't acknowledging what you're doing, and it's just like, ah. You've lost your joy, right? And all of a sudden, good exhausted becomes bad exhausted. Like your, your relationship that you're in right now, when you first started dating them, it was awesome. Oh man, y'all were loving it. You could spend every night with them, getting to know them. It was so good. It was great. But then you hit some bumps in the relationship and you realize that they, just like you, have flaws. They just have not hid them as well as you. And you keep rowing. And it feels like every date you go on, it's just not getting any better. It's just, you start getting winded and the wind's blowing against you. It's just hard, right? It's just hard. I know that there are some students in the room right now 
who had a year of high school or middle school and you loved it. You had the best friends around you. You had the best teachers. You were making the grades. You made the team. You had a girlfriend or boyfriend. It was all good. And then all of a sudden you moved one grade, one grade and everything changed. Friend crew changed. Teachers changed. Subjects get harder. You're not making the grades like you used to. And you're rowing just like you were before, but it is not working the same, right? Good exhausted can become bad exhausted. When you are, when, when bad exhaustion hits you, when opposition like this is, and, and, and keep in mind, they were already tired. Maybe in this room right now, you are already tired. Life is already crushing you. You're already struggling, and all of a sudden this month, you got hit with bills, you got hit with relational tension, relational strain, and it just feels like one more thing. And, and, and honestly, right now, you, 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 you kinda got those wobbly legs, like a UFC fighter that's just gotten punched a few times, and you ain't sure, you ain't sure you can keep going. I think God has led, I know it because of what I read yesterday. I know it because of the text messages I read. I think God has some people in the room today that are on the verge of giving up. You on the verge of quitting. Whether it's a job, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a, a battle against temptation that you keep bumping up against and you're about to just give into it because you're sick of it, you're about to quit. You're about to give up. And I think God brought you here today to tell you that when you are about to give up, that's when God usually shows up. When you're about to give up, when you're about to throw in the towel, God is in his grace and in his wisdom, he is showing up in your life. And I think right now he wants to show up and, and, and wants to pull up side close to you and help you continue. Look at the next verse. It's the first thing, the first thing you should ask for when you don't know what to ask for. Look at verse 19. It says, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. It's I, don't be afraid. See, I, I think when you don't know what to ask for, I think when life is hitting you hard and, and you don't even know what to say to God, you don't even know where to turn. I think from this passage, we see that Jesus wants to give you, if you'll ask for it, the courage to continue. The courage to continue, the courage to face your fear, to face the thing that has you terrified. Jesus knew that the disciples were afraid right now. They were terrified. They had no idea if they're gonna make it across to the other side. They had no idea if they had the energy to keep going. And he, and he shows up and he says, don't be afraid. I, th I think Jesus knows that some of you right now are living in fear. He knows that some of you are living, are living in fear that the money's not gonna be there, that the economy's not gonna turn around. He knows that some of you are living in fear that the, the, the relationship is never gonna get better. I think he knows that some of you are living in fear that the depression is never gonna go away and you're gonna feel like this forever. And I'm telling you, Jesus has you here. And he says, when you don't know what to ask for, ask for the courage to continue. Ask for the courage to keep going. See, Jesus does not want you to live in a place of fear. Jesus does not want you to be afraid. And so look at how he fixes this for, 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 for the disciples. The thing that was exhausting them, right? The thing that was causing them, them so much heartache and so much strain. Watch what Jesus does. He's like, oh, the waters that are choppy, all that's going on, you can't row here. Let me just show you and I'll walk on it. <laughs> I mean, that's a silly flex. That's, they're sitting there going, man, I can't get through this. And he's like, oh, this little thing, I got you. I'm gonna walk on top of it. See, because what you are afraid of, you, you have to hear this, you have to embrace this in your soul. When you feel anxiety, when you feel discouragement, when you feel fear, you need to understand the thing you are afraid of, Jesus has authority over. The diagnosis that you got, 
the loss that you suffered, I want you to understand it will not have the final word in your life. The frustration you're experiencing, the worry you're experiencing, the anxiety you're experiencing, Jesus is trying to show his power and his might. He's trying to walk on those circumstances and show you the thing you're afraid of, I have power over. The thing you're afraid of, I've got it under control. I know what I'm doing. Just trust me. Just trust me. The thing you're afraid of, Jesus has authority over. And some of you, some of you have seen it. I'm going to say some of you, but not all of you. I think it's an important distinction. I'm going to tell you about that second part in a second. Some of you seen it. Some of you in this room, I could, I could stand you up and you have seen the power of God at work in your life. You have, some of you in this room have broken free from chains of addiction. Some of you have been broken free from unhealthy patterns that were destroying your life. Some of you in this room have gone through infidelity and you have forgiven and reconciled and built something better. Some of you in this room have been to hell and back and you saw the power of God change your life. You saw him walk on the water of your circumstances and that should be enough for you to never be afraid of anything again. Some of you though, most preachers don't wanna say this. All right, most, most preachers like to speak in generalities. You've all seen, no, 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 come on, let's be real. Jesus did not heal everyone in the New Testament. You know that? Jesus did not resurrect every dead person in the New Testament. He did for some, and that example of faith, that example of God's power, actually led thousands to trust Jesus. He did it for some, he didn't do it for all. And, and, and here's the deal, real talk. When you see someone else experience the power of God in their life, it absolutely can be enough for you then to trust God. If God's not working in my life, if, if you don't feel like you've seen the power of God do some amazing, miraculous thing, but you sit here and you watch Jacob's story. Jacob's story. That dude was not in church, not thinking about God, goes camping, <laughs> and he feels something happening inside of him. And he's like, I don't know. I started having some conversation in my head. I can't even explain it. It felt like the water was talking back to me or the, the, the stream is talking, like the, the sky is talking. I don't know. And then he comes here to church and he sits right here and he hears the gospel, the, the truth that Jesus lived for us, died for us, and resurrected for us. And he had the same feeling. He said, oh, 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 God, that was you up in the mountains. If God can work in Jacob's life like that, let me tell you, you can trust him to walk on the waters. You can trust him to be there for you. You can trust him. You, you can take Jacob's faith. I could take Keith right here. You sat front row on the wrong day. I could take Keith right I, I, I could take, I take Shauna right there. I, I could take so many people in this room. I could take Susan front row. If you sit front row, you're a target. No, I'm I could take so many people in this room and I could say, you know what? If God does not show up in any of my circumstances the way I want him to, if God does not fix me, if God does not change me, if, if God doesn't show up, it's okay. I saw God show up in your life. And so because of that, I got, I got all the courage I need. I can ask God for the courage to continue. This is why the local church is so important. This is why you need to be in a small group. This is why you need to go to culture class. This is why you need to be here every week because your faith needs to see the power of God at work in people's lives. And that's what fills you up with the courage. That same God that worked in your life and led your whole family to faith, that same God is with you. That same God, he is with you. He's got your back. And if that same God has got your back, you have absolutely no reason to fear. You can have the courage 
to continue, the courage to keep rowing. You can actually have courage, and, and, and you can walk into that scary situation with confidence, not insecurity. Confidence, not weakness, because he is with you. I had a scary situation yesterday. <clears throat> Guilty confession time. It had to do with YMCA basketball again. If you don't know, I have a little issue. I'm working on it. I'm in counseling. Had an altercation today. Almost turned into an altercation. My boys' team are small in stature, mighty in spirit. And uh, they're going up against this team that is just, I mean, running things. We saw them play a, a game before us. It was a doubleheader for them. It was one game for us. We saw who they played the first time, and they were just running up and down the court. They got 10 people on the team, all from top to bottom. All of them are good. They're doing line changes. When they sub, five in, five out, and they just run the thing. So I'm like, we are hosed. <laughs> but our boys get in, the, and they're fighting. They're up like 4-2 at the end of the first quarter, real defensive battle. <laughs> Second quarter, my boy Emmett, he gets in there and he steals the ball from this kid who was really, really good. And I was so proud of him. He was just getting out there, getting aggressive. He steals this ball. Well, the kid comes in. He tries to get the ball back. And so he wraps his hand around Emmett. And then he wraps his other hand around like this. So he's just bear hugging him from the back. And he picks him up and body slams him into the floor. And your boy lost it. Because <laughs> the ref called a jump ball, not a foul. And I'm like, uh-uh-uh-uh-uh. So Redneck Petey came out like Redneck Petey does. And I started yelling. I started going off. I started, what are you, I mean, I was, then the other team's coaches get them, and they start yelling at me. Then the other team's fans start getting them. They start yelling. It was like, we about to rush the court. This is about to be Pistons Pacers 2.0. We're about to go insane. But you know what? Some of those dudes on that, some of those dudes in the stands were pretty big dudes. I could have took the coaches, but the, the ones in the stands. But you know why I wasn't afraid? Because you, I, I'm the assistant coach. I ain't even the head coach. The head coach is that big beast of a man that was up here doing announcements a second ago, Taylor Warren. And when you got Taylor Warren behind you, baby, seven foot beast, I'm like a bulldog. Because like, I know he's got my back, right? I know. And sure enough, I'm out there yelling and pointing. I'm like, what am I doing? Apparently, my wife grabbed me and she was like, hey, calm down. I, I was hijacked. My brain was taken over. I was like, no, nah, I'm good. And I moved on. And I kept going. Taylor takes three steps towards them. Half court's happening. Taylor takes three steps. My son later said that it felt like every step Taylor took that the water was shaking in Jurassic Park. <laughs> My man took three steps. Boom. 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 And if you know Taylor, he is the most gentle, non-confrontational person ever. He just is big with a booming voice. And he goes, all right, guys, easy, easy here. Let's not lose our heads. And immediately, immediately, everyone was like, we're good. All good here. Nothing to see. We are sets. We're going back to our seats. I was like, yeah, you are. <laughs> Bulldog, I kept growling at people. Rawr. I ain't fear nothing with Taylor behind me. I ain't fear nothing because I know who's got me. I'm telling you, you ain't got to fear nothing that this life throws at you. You've got the God who created the heavens and the earth and everything in it. You've got the God who stretches arms out on a cross to die for you. And he defeated death. He is behind you. He's beside you. He's in you. You ain't got nothing to fear. So you can ask him right now. If you're afraid, you can say, God, I don't even know. I don't even know what to do right now. But will you give me the courage to continue? 
Will you give me the courage to keep going? Will you help me not be afraid, but to be confident and watch him show up? Now, <clears throat> that's the first thing. But there's a second part. And it's important for you to hear the second part because I know that if you're sitting there right now, I just told you God will give you the courage that you need to not be afraid. But I said nothing about your circumstances changing. Right? And that's cool. That's great. God, help me not be afraid. Love that. Also, it would be nice if my circumstances changed. <laughs> right? Also, be nice if you did something to help. I want you to see in this next verse that he wants to do something to help. Look at verse 21. It says, then they were willing to take him into the boat and immediately, how quick? Immediately. How quick? Immediately. The boat reached the shore where they were heading. Huh? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. Immediately the boat reached the shore. These guys have been rowing for hours, nonstop, rowing, 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 doing everything they can getting nowhere. And the minute they asked God, God in flesh, Jesus himself, to get in the boat, it says immediately they reached their destination. Immediately their circumstances changed. I don't know if he taught them a new way to row. I don't know if he changed the direction of the wind, but something happened. See, I believe with all of my heart that when you don't know what to ask for, something God wants to give you if you'll ask for it, it's not just the courage to continue, but I believe he wants to give you the favor to finish. I think he wants to give you the favor to get further, faster than you ever could have on your own. And I know, I know, I know, I know. I know why some of y'all are nervous right now. I know why some of y'all's butts are puckered right now because this reminds you of some health, wealth, and prosperity preachers out there. Oh, I know. Trust me, I know. If you're new to church and you don't know what I just said, there's this, there's this um, message that people, that a lot of preachers distort, and we call it the prosperity gospel. It's, it's this idea that if you follow Jesus, you will be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. And uh, if, you, if, you're, if you've never heard anyone say that, just turn on the TV at like 2 a.m., scroll to some random stations, and you'll find some guy on there who's like, $39.99 a month, I'll give you some holy water and God will give it back to you tenfold. You'll have $399.99 before the end of it. And this is why I don't tell people that I'm a preacher. Number one thing I hate is going into a social setting where people ask a very normal question. Who are you? What do you do? When they say, what do you do? I'm like, I'm a spiritual advisor. Oh, that sounds weird. <laughs> I'm a life coach. Nah. They'll say, I'm a communicator. Who will you communicate? Dang it. Because <laughs> the minute I say preacher, I know who they're thinking of. And I want you to hear me say this. The prosperity gospel is false. Following Jesus will not make you healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. It's false. This is where it's going to get a little uncomfortable. Go with me for a second. But it's not entirely False. I know some of y'all have been in church all your life. You are getting nervous right now. Let me, let me explain. <clears throat> the way of Jesus. We are told if we follow him, it will lead us to abundant life. Life to the full. Following Jesus, following the ways of God will absolutely make you healthier. I ain't saying this is going to heal your disease. I ain't saying you're never going to get sick. Everybody in the New Testament end up dying. I am telling you, though, that following Jesus will actually help you deal with your anxiety, 
Your mental health should get better. It'll help you deal with your emotional health. You'll have joy that is unexplainable. And I also believe that following Jesus will, Jesus will convict you to treat this gift that you have been given of your body with, with respect. And he will convict you of dependency on substance, dependency on food, dependency on alcohol. He'll convict you because he wants what's best for you. So I ain't saying you're never going to get sick. I ain't saying you're never going to get hurt. But I'm saying if you follow Jesus, you are going to, you're likely going to be healthier holistically as a person. Following Jesus will, is going to make some of y'all really upset. But hear me, go with me. Following Jesus will actually make you wealthier, just not in money. Because money ain't actually what makes you wealthy. Money does not actually settle much of anything inside of your heart. But following Jesus will absolutely make you wealthy in the right things. Following Jesus will make you wealthy in love, in relationship, in community. Following Jesus will make you wealthy in the things that actually matter, that actually lead you to feel at peace. Right? Following Jesus, trust me, following Jesus will actually make you make the work of your hands prosper. All right? Because let me let you in on a little secret. And everyone that's a leader of their organization, if you're a boss right now, you are going to be amening me by the end of what I'm about to say. I'm not saying that every business you lead as a follower of Jesus is going to succeed and you're going to have money, money, money. No, 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 no. But trust me, if you follow Jesus, he's going to make you a loyal, dependable, hardworking, skilled at what you do, humble enough to receive feedback, committed to following someone else's vision because you know there's a greater good, Jesus is going to help you do all these things. And let me tell you, if you do, don't tell anyone. If you do this, if you follow Jesus at work, your boss is going to likely give you more responsibilities and promote you. Because every boss in the room right now knows this. You can't find good, honest, dependable, hardworking, loyal, humble employees in our world today. You are going to be leading in no time. Trust me. It's true. And some of you in this room right now are sitting in the midst of your prosperity. The work of your hands has succeeded. And it's because the spirit of God has worked out the immaturity of your young 20s. And the spirit of God has given you resolve and work ethic and toughness and grit. The spirit of God has made you better. And your boss sees it. He can't explain it, but he sees it. She sees it. She knows. It'll, it'll make you better. Let me, let me say it like this. I believe with all of my heart, and I don't even need to give you some like pep talk to get you there. This is just truth. I believe with all of my heart that God wants to stack the deck in your favor. I believe with all of my heart that if you would say, Jesus, I don't know what to pray for, but will you give me the favor to finish? I absolutely believe if you invite him into those circumstances, invite him into your life, I believe that he wants to stack the deck in your favor because he is your dad. Every parent in this room, listen up. You know this is true. Do you want your kids to fail or succeed? He's your dad. You're his child. This past week, my wife had a really, really fun time making fun of me. <laughs> my, son, my son Emmett, uh, he had this book report that was due on Friday. So Thursday night, this is his last night to work on it. We've known about this report for six weeks. We decided together as a family, this is the time when we are not going to hover over him to ensure he gets a good grade. We're not gonna, we're just gonna let him go. Kick him 
to the curb of responsibility and let it happen. I told her, I was like, Britt, you are the good student. She was the straight A student. She was the perfectionist, the high achiever. I was the like, C is solid, middle of the road, average is cool. B, B is like really stepping it up. So I was like, hey, girl, you've got to tame your perfectionist. Let him fail, all right? Let him fail. So we don't talk to him for six weeks. We just say, hey, you working on your book report? Good. Thursday comes. He's like, Dad, I finished my book report. Here it is. Can you proofread it for me? I was like, it's a good thing you came to me and not your mother. I'd be happy to proofread it for you. (laughs) I proofread it for him, and I'm reading this book report. And I'm like, yo, if 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 this book report is actually what happened in the book, this is the dumbest book in the history of the world. This is insanity. There's no way that's what this book is about. It's like, I've seen the cover, I've read the back, that, no, there's no way. And I'm, I'm in that moment like, let him fail, let him fail, let him fail. And what do I do? I speed read the whole book over the next hour, and I figure out what it's about, and I ask him guiding questions to jog his memory, and then I helped him write it and make sure it was good. And by the way, he came home, home on Friday, and he got 100%, thank you very much. Brittany texted me while it was all going on, and she said, my, how the tables have turned. (laughs) I said, shut up. He's not going to (laughs) fail. Not going to fail. Parents, you don't, we don't want our kids to fail. God does not want you to fail. God wants to give you the favor to finish. God doesn't want you to have a bad marriage for the rest of your life. God does not want you to be addicted for the rest of your life. God does not want you to fail in that issue of temptation that you've been fighting for 20 years for the rest of your life. God does not want you to be undisciplined financially, undisciplined physically. God does, no, 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 no. He wants to lead you to life to the full. He wants to be the wind in your sails. You know, the, the, the disciples had the wind coming at them. Jesus wants to put the wind at your back so that you can go further, faster than you ever could have on your own. That's why the psalmist writes in Psalm 23, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God's love and God's goodness, he wants to be the wind. He wants to follow you and help you accomplish more than you ever could have on your own without a doubt. If you don't know what to ask for, Ask for the courage to continue and ask for the favor to finish and watch God show up. Now, I believe everything I just said, but there was one part of this passage that I couldn't shake. There was one part of this passage that when I read it, I was like, I don't know, man. I, I mean, I think, I think it's all here. I was like, God, you really want us to have the courage to continue, the favor to finish, let you into our, the boat of our lives. Like, yeah, yeah. But there's this verse 19 that I was like, what is that? I just, I couldn't get over this part. It says in verse 19, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water. It says, and they were frightened. And I couldn't get over that. I was like, why were they scared? This is not the first time that they had seen Jesus do something miraculous. Within 12 hours before, these are the people that, saw Jesus multiply a happy meal into a Thanksgiving feast for 10,000 people. They'd seen it. These are people who saw, who saw Jesus heal a man who had been unable to walk for 38 years, and all he said to him was, get up. They'd, see, they'd seen Jesus turn water to wine. They had seen it all. So walking on water seems pretty par for the course with Jesus. 
So why were they afraid? Why were they frightened? And I started praying about that. I was like, God, what is it? What is it that left them so afraid? And God started reminding me of some times in my life when I've been good exhausted and good exhausted became bad exhausted. And, uh, and sometimes when God and his grace to me was saying, hey, if you'll let me into the boat with you, I want to give you the courage to keep going. I want to give you the favor to go further, faster. Like, I can tell you, when I first arrived here, started leading this church, I was good exhausted real quick. Oh, man, I was, I was preaching every week. Man, I, you know, I, this is my first time being a lead pastor. I hadn't, I hadn't preached every week before, so I had sermon ideas for days. I was ready. And I'd come home exhausted. But I couldn't wait to go back the next day. Man, it was awesome. And fast forward a year, and COVID shut the world down, and people left the church. And I got to a place where I was like, I have no more words to say to these people. <laughs> I, I got nothing left. And man, I started feeling afraid. In the midst of that, all that was going on, I was like, God, I'm afraid. I'm afraid I don't, I don't have what it takes. I'm afraid that our church isn't gonna make it. I'm afraid that we're not gonna be able to come out of this. I'm afraid that I'm gonna be a different person. I'm afraid that I just don't have what it takes. God, God, I'm so afraid. And I felt like so many times he was saying, Petey, just trust me. Trust me, let me in to that circumstance. And I promise you, I will give you what you need. You know it. Don't give up. Let me in. Let me in and let me help you. Let me steer you in the right, uh, the, the, the right direction. Let me, let me give you content. Let me give you direction. Let me give you energy that you, you can't find on your own. Just let me in. And you know what's so funny? I should have just said yes. But for many, many months during that pandemic, I cried on my back porch and had a pity party. And truthfully, I was just scared. I didn't know what God was going to ask of me. I didn't know where he was gonna take me. I didn't know what the outcome was gonna look like. And I, I was just scared. And I realized that I was afraid to trust God, though I had been following him for years. And I realized that's what's happening here. The disciples, they knew God's power, but they were afraid to trust him because they didn't know what was gonna happen next. They didn't know what God was gonna ask of them. I think some of you right now, you know, maybe, maybe for some of you, it's a, you've never, You've never called yourself a Christian, and now you see that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and you know it's real, and you know he's the one, but you're scared to make that decision to go from not a person of faith to a person of faith. You're scared of what your family will think of you. You're scared of what your friends will think of you. You're scared of so much. You're scared because you're not sure if you have what it takes to answer the call of all that Jesus is gonna ask of you. You're not sure if you're ready to give up all the things that you know God might ask you to give, and you're scared. You're scared to trust him. Some of you have been following Jesus for years and there's a situation when, where you just have been blocking him out and, and you're terrified to let him in because you don't know what that'll mean for you. I want you to hear this. The decision, the fear to trust Jesus, whether it's a first-time decision that you're making or a, a, a decision about a circumstance, the decision to trust Jesus is the most important decision you will ever make in your life and it's the most important decision you will make every day. And it's scary. You're doing the one thing that humans don't do. You are giving up control. These disciples are out there rowing and they're grinding and all they know is work and try and strive. And Jesus pulls up the boat. He's like, if you'll let me in, I can help you. Right? And they don't know if he's going to hop in and shame them. He don't, they don't know if he's going to hop in and guilt them. They don't know if he's going to hop in and they have no idea. They've got to let go of control. 
It is the primary battle of the human soul. Whether you're first starting in your journey to follow Jesus or you've been in it for years, it's the primary battle of the human soul to push past your fear and to trust God. So I don't know what situation is God's working on your heart with right now, but I wanna give you a chance to respond to him uh, in that way we do this every single week as a private moment between you and him. Uh, we, we don't believe any time you hear from the words of Jesus that you should let that go without responding. So we, we wanna give you the chance to do that right now. If you would, just stand to your feet. And we do this to acknowledge the reality that every real life change begins in a private moment between you and God. We ain't gonna parade you around. We're not gonna ask you to come to the front, nothing like that. This is between you and God. And that's where all life change begins. So if you would, bow your heads, close your eyes to create that privacy. And right now, if you would not consider, your, you would not have before today considered yourself a Christian. You would not have considered yourself a follower of Jesus, but you know that he is the one that you've been looking for. You know that through the death of Jesus on the cross, that that's the way for your sins to be forgiven. That's the way for you to be made right with God. And you wanna put your trust in Jesus, your trust in his life, your trust in his death, your trust in his resurrection. And you don't have to have your life cleaned up. You don't have to have the Bible memorized, none of that. You just gotta be ready to say, yes, Jesus, I'm ready to trust you for the very first time. If you wanna make that decision to become a follower of Jesus, I want you to raise your hand on the count of three as a private decision between you and God. One, two, three. It's beautiful, several hands up in the room right now. It's amazing. Awesome, you can put your hand down. That's so good. I'm so excited for you. Keep your heads bowed, eyes closed. If you know there's a circumstance right now, a situation that you've been blocking God out, you've been scared to let him in, and he's pulled up next to the boat of your life, and he's ready to give you the courage to continue, he's ready to give you the favor to finish, but you've gotta ask him in. You've got to open up your heart and humble yourself to receive it. And you're ready to do that today. You're ready to say to God, God, step into my life, step into this situation, and I need you. I can't do it on my own. If you want to make that private decision between you and God, I want you to raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. That's beautiful. Hands up all over the room. That's incredible. That's incredible. Put your hands down. Let's pray together and ask God to do this in us. Jesus, oh Jesus, we are so grateful for your love. We're so grateful for your sacrifice for us on the cross that has paved the way for us to have a new life with you. God, we're so grateful that you don't leave us to our circumstances, but you step in. You pull up next to us. God, right, right, right now, I know that you've pulled up next to some people in their hearts and in their minds because you want to give us courage. You want to give us favor. And we thank you for that, God. You could have been a distant God who spins the world into existence and walks away, but that's not who you are. You're right here with us. And so we thank you for that. We open our minds and our hearts to you. We ask you to seal these decisions inside of us. Change us. Do what only you can do. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray together by saying amen. Amen. Let's celebrate what God did in the room today. Come on, let's go. Thank you so much for joining us for this Peak City message today. If you'd like more information on Peak City Church or if you'd like to give to the mission here in Colorado Springs, then check us out at peakcityco.com.